Oscar calling for it. James can only fist it. It comes for Cantona! I don't believe it! Well left by York, fed by Cole. Back to Andy Cole for Dwight York. Fantastic goal for Manchester United. Can Manchester United score? They always score. Keats with a shot! Welcome to the latest episode of Red Devil Talk. I'm Jimmy Williams. Today on the show, I'm delighted to be joined with former United and Exeter City footballer, Alan Tong. Before we start, Alan, I want to say welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. No worries, Jimmy. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Uh, much appreciated. It's always good to talk football and, and all things Man United for an hour or so. I'd like to begin by jumping to 1986, if that's okay. You signed school by forms with United after a trial over the Christmas. But can you explain... The process up to that point, at what point did you become aware of the club's interest? Well, it, you know, it was obviously going back then, you know, it was very different. The world was very different. You used to get, you know, a lot of Man United scouts used to come watching grassroots sides and, and watching. Um, I was I was representing my town at the team, you know, Bolton Town team, and then I um, I got I was lucky enough to get selected to play for Greater Manchester County which is, you know, Greater Manchester County is all the best lads from the towns. And uh, there was, I remember one night at uh, Macclesfield Town, it was actually, uh, I think we'd played against Cheshire. Uh, had a decent game after the game, a, a youth development fellow called Joel Brown approached my mum and dad and said they'd like to invite me down over the Christmas period, uh, which was which was December 86, so... So what was quite bizarre is when I went on trial at that time, it was like, um, I think I, I think I went down to the club about the 28th of December and I stayed with the club right over the New Year. So I was in the, I was in Manchester Hall as a residence on like New Year's Eve and, uh, you know, straight into like into New Year's Day. So, so it was really random, but yeah, a great five days, Jimmy. I was, you know, I did all sorts of things, played a couple of practice matches, was lucky enough to sort of train with the reserves and, it was, it was just one of them weeks that went really well. And at the end of that week, um, you know, Joel Brown said to, to me and a few of the, the other lads, um, you know, we'd like to offer you schoolboy forms and, and an apprenticeship. So so that was that. That was me kind of my, my route into Man United and, and kind of how it all started, really. You mentioned your parents there. I want to ask, what was their reaction to this? They must have been beaming with pride. Well, amazing. I mean, we're all United supporters, Jimmy. All the family follow Reds ardently over the years. My dad, especially, and and I remember the car ride home, and you know, after getting told that United wanted to wanted to sign you, and it was um, it was an old it was a friend uh, who'd been on trial with me. His dad picked us up and dropped me back, and I was just like, I shot down the path like to tell me mum and dad like that United offered us uh, schoolboy forms and an apprenticeship and. Yeah, it's one, it's one of them moments, you know, like a lot of other people in life, you know, things that are, are really exciting or things that um, you, you, you can remember with great clarity clarity and great vividness, and, and that's certainly one of them. Is reflecting on your time at United something you, you love to do? Do you love to reminisce about those days? Yeah, it, it's, it's a kind of like, it's a bit of a paradox for me, Jimmy, really, because I've had some like great memories, but I've had some like terrible ones as well, so it was like, it's a bit strange, um, you know, it, it started off, I mean, me, me, me sort of early years at United were going okay. I played in the under-18s at 15 years old, played in the Reds at 16. 
um, played at Histon for Giuliano Majorana as sort of um, they arranged a game against against Histon as part of, of Jules coming to sign. So I was I was involved with like a first team kind of friendly event, seventeen. So everything was going okay, and then it was just tough. It's just that breakthrough into the next level. I mean, the, the sort of the B team, the A team, the Reses. It, it, quite far way away from that first team environment. It's quite a big step into that, and I think I think it was just just trying to break through was was proving difficult. And I think the problem, Jimmy, for myself back then is you could only pick thirteen players, so 11, 11 on the pitch and two subs. And the trouble was you had like so you know a lot of good pros at the time. There was a lot of pros signed up, and unfortunately for myself, a lot of professionals who could adapt as well. So if like Viv Anderson got injured, Clayton Blackmore would play at right back. If Clayton got injured, you'd have Lee Martin. And if Lee Martin got injured, Dennis Irwin would flip over there. So it it was tough. And I think I think just just falling short, Jimmy, and making that next step, and you know to get really into first team contention and, and playing there, it, it proved a step too far to me for for, for myself. And you know I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the only player. You know, there's there's thousands and thousands who just quite, not quite get there and just can't make that last little stride. I want to jump to 1996 now, if that's okay. You've since left United. You're playing for Exeter City, aged 24, battled a spinal injury for the bones of 18 months. Then you had to retire prematurely. How difficult was that to take for you? Very hard. Yeah, very hard indeed. And you know, football was something that I'd known from being about three, four, five years old in the garden with my dad. You come all the way through. To, to 22 I think I was at the time I uh, had to have a couple of serious back operations and ended up with screws and plates in my spine and um, you know getting told by the surgeon at, uh, at French A Hospital Bristol you know we don't think that you recover full fitness to get get yourself back into professional football environment so it's kind of like you're left in this void of like you know you you kind of you don't know what to do next. I, I got a bit bits and pieces of support, but not a lot, Jim. To be honest with you, I think I was like kind of left to my own devices to try and work it out. And, and um, I remember like exit. I think my P forty five just dropped through the door one day, and, and that was almost the sickness to signify your career's over, and you're going to have to think of something else to do. And you know, because I was only a relatively young player, very inexperienced. You know, I didn't have the credentials. I didn't have the credibility to maybe step in as a as a coach or an assistant manager at the time, and and it was a lot of soul searching, Jimmy, for a, few, a good few years before I got myself, you know, back on track again. I went through a series of jobs, you know, working in warehouses, working for the Royal Mail for a bit, um, working as a driver, you know, van driver, and and it was. Um, I just decided, I don't know what, I think it was a member of the family that said, like, have you never fancied of re-engaging with your education and, and maybe thinking of doing a course? Well, at the time, I kind of, not not really, but I think it was probably one of the best moves I made, and that was to go back to, I went to university and started a degree in sports science. But but as you say, Jim, back to your question, yeah, very, very tough coming out of football. That, that was a very, very difficult, tough time in my life. I want to ask you about your education in a moment, but for now I'm going to stick with the injury, if that's okay. How would you say it impacted your own mental health, Alan? Well, it, it was it was tough because, you know, it's, it's like I say, it's that identity and all I'd known was football. You know, I went full-time at 16, even though I'd, I'd done all right at school. You know, schooling was something that I enjoyed and I engaged with, so there was no problems there. You know, while I was at United, you had to go through a college course. They, 
they put you through a VTEC. So I used to go to Accrington Rosendale College uh, one day a week uh, to, to do that. So I, again, I enjoyed that. I engaged with that. And from sort of like 18, 19 onwards, my education kind of stopped. So I never really picked it up again until I was about 28. So, so yeah, so going back to the, to the mental health side of it, probably getting involved with things that I shouldn't really be getting involved with, too much drinking, um, and, and almost like falling into this funny scenario where you think you're still a player for a couple of years, you know, you've not, you've not moved on properly on anywhere else. And, you know, ultimately a lot of people have been wanting to talk to you about football in bars and that'd lead to like another pint, another pint and. And then you start, you know, I was, I was maybe gambling a bit too much just, just because I was lost. I mean, these were the, I suppose, the side effects, Jim, of, of kind of your identity being obliterated. And um, like I say, it, it took a good few years for me to, to sort of get out of this, this, this loss or this isolation that I felt and, and move my life on, you know, somewhere else in a, in a more positive direction. You touched on identity there. Something I am massively interested in is this concept of athletic identity whereby a situation that prevents the execution of a sporting role in your case an injury compromises the athlete's identity to an extent how did you deal with this loss of sport well i think i think what did help me and i i have like quite strong family and, and good family behind me i think they played, played a massive part and and i think i think it was just soul searching jimmy really i mean I know a little bit more now. I've got a little bit more educated around the, the situation and circumstances around transitions and, and how to how to sort of deal with that step. And you know, I know a little bit more about it than I used to used to do. But but I think the the identity side is like, well, your identity is really really strong around being a professional footballer because because that's all you kind of know. And I think I think once that that big part of that identity is gone. It's like you ask these questions like, "Who am I now? You know, what skills have I got? Where can I go next? What do what do I what do I need to do next to get my life moving on again?" And you know, it's quite deep questions, but I suppose for a period of time, asking yourself those questions allows you to to really examine what you want to do, where you want to go, and and hopefully, you know, I managed luckily to try and eventually get on a more constructive path than a destructive one. And I think for a lot of footballers, if you look at identity getting obliterated, they end up on bad roads, unfortunately. You know, there's the PFAs, the, there's a lot of players who are in the penal system at the moment, in prison and stuff like that. There's a lot of divorces, a lot of, a lot of marriage breakdowns, there's a lot of financial problems. So so I think this is something that, that really needs to be thought about in a, in a, in a lot more, in a, in, a, in much more manner, because... You know, the PFA, it's not all about professional footballs at the top levels, the elite levels. You know, there's, there's, there's four leagues within within the English system and, you know, more professionals that are lower than that. You get a lot of, you get a lot of full-time lads playing in the national leagues. And I think I think it's a harder step for them because the wages are a lot lower and there's, a, there's more pressure on you to find an, another identity quite quickly. You know, while you come out of the top level sport, at least you've got a bit of finance behind you to have a think and, and plot your next steps. You know, I'm not saying that step's easy, not at all. But lower down the leagues, I think when your wages have been a lot lower, I think it puts more pressure and demand on you to get yourself into another career or an opportunity a lot quicker. I want to ask you about your PhD. I think it sounds fascinating. You're exploring critical moments. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I decided to explore that in a little bit more depth. 
so so critical moments. It's not just about transitions. It's not about coming out of the game at the end of your career. There's lots of little things that are happening on a regular basis that can affect your identity as well while you're trying to navigate this career. So things like deselection, injured, dealing with injuries, going on loans, uh, coach coach relationships, manager relationships, teammate relationships. So there's all little aspects on a daily practice of a footballer that can impact your identity and, and really make you consider and think about you know how to how to improve and how to get better and how to move your life forwards. You know one of the one of the biggest findings, Jimmy, around players was deselection. You know having that it's situation where you're training all week and the gaffer reads the team out of the on a Friday or a Saturday morning and you're not involved or you're sub or you know as footballers ultimately you want to play all the time and when that deselection happens it's like you know you go really down you get a bit fed up a bit, a bit angry. You know, a lot like you say, you're tapping into that mental health side again. A lot of anxiety. But, you know, some of the existential stuff that I've been reading about around academics such as Kierkegaard, Heidegger, Sartre, you know, it talks about using this anxiety as a growth opportunity and a development opportunity. And that, that's what I learned the most. I'd probably go on a downer for a few days that might lead to going, you know, maybe having a few more pints than I should. But really, at the time, what I should have been doing is examining that and saying, right, I'll show you, I'll bounce back, I'll do some extra training next week and try and get myself into first-team selection and first-team contention again. How much of your, I suppose, intent to do such research was influenced by your own struggles, the setbacks you had in your own career? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Just just wanted to sort of find out, you know, like how, how much of an issue and how much issues that I went through is kind of apparent in the game and... You know, a lot of the players that I, that I spoke to and interviewed and, and people who were kind enough to fill in surveys for me indicated that, you know, there's there's a lot of mental health, potential mental health and well-being issues within professional football because the environment's ruthless, it's difficult, it's challenging. You know, not, not just football, but broader life as well, Jimmy. You know, this is, this is the same across a range of disciplines. But in particular, footballers have got a lot of exposure, you know, the media's all over the game. The the um, there's twenty four seven channels, Sky Sports, BT. You know, foot, football's a massive part of our culture and our society. And if you're out of form or you're getting left out or or you're not performing to the best of your ability, you know the, the fans can get on your back, uh, the media can get on your back, and that and that's really challenging. And you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll maybe go on to speak about you know the, the current situation at United at the moment. So there's, I think there's a lot of inside stuff sometimes, Jimmy, that, that maybe your standard supporter and people who just watch Sky on a Sunday or go together don't, don't really see within that environment. It's very ruthless, it's very cruel, it's very difficult, it's challenging. You know, there's, there's lots and lots of difficulties on a weekly basis and, you know, ultimately these difficulties need to, need to be overcome if you want to stay in the game and get a full and blossoming career. I remember talking to you about this before. You said to me that a lot of research focuses on career endpoints. I found that myself. I did a bit of research and I thought of that conversation we had. Yeah. I think there absolutely is a need to investigate what players go through on a daily basis, like an injury. There are so many more factors that are involved, like you said, outside of the bigger picture that are yeah. crucial to getting that performance right on a Saturday. Absolutely. And, and just getting more understanding of that and getting more, I suppose, appropriate support within clubs. You know, a lot of clubs do some fantastic work. A lot of clubs are very, very supportive of the players. 
but there's only really one Jimmy lad who's been in full-time football as a sports psychologist that I can think of and I'm sure you've read some of his stuff and that's Dr Martin Esty who's worked with players for 10 or 11 seasons now he's currently Aston Villa uh, who works with players on a daily basis over a prolonged period yeah and he's, he's been Mark's role to book, you know, psychology, working in professional football and identified in detail some of the challenges that he faces or has faced, but speaks about it from a, an applied perspective to almost, you know, what the players come in to speak to him about. So I thought to accompany Mark's work and to try and do a little bit more insight and digging, I thought I'd do some research on it and try and, and, try and get some of that out into the public domain as well. Hi, this is Ken Hardy, and you're listening to Red Devil Talk, the podcast with Jimmy Williams. I'd like to move on to the, the current team, if that's okay. What was your reaction to the weekend? Where do we go uh, from here? I, th- I think like a lot of supporters, Jimmy, just, I just thought, I, honestly, I was nearly in tears watching it because it was that bad. It, it was an absolute shambles. Um, started off all right, started off as best as possible. You know, Marshall goes down for a penalty. Uh, Bruno tucks it away nicely, so you think, oh, that's... What, what brilliant start we're off and running and then after that dearie and me we just fell apart didn't we and, and uh, you know you, you say well it, it, it went it finished sixth but it could it could have been more it could have been like seven eight nine anything like that and I, I think what alarmed me what worried me the most was the the sort of the way that the towel got almost got thrown in by a lot of the players and I, I always say Jimmy like how many of those players can come off after that game look themselves in the mirror and say I give everything for that badge you know, over the, over the duration of that game, there's not there's not many on on uh, on Sunday who, who could do that. Not many at all. And I said exactly the same at Palace as well at home to Palace. So so it's very concerning. So we're, we're looking for massive response here in a week or two's time because I feel that there's a lot there's a lot of players here who, who need to step up and be counted. And you know, I'm, I'm not saying we can't do it. We can. But it's going to take. This is going to be a massive test of a lot of people, a few players, and the management and coaching staff as well. I think for me, it was the manner of the defeat that concerned me. Like you said, a defeat is one thing. Of course, you can lose a football match, but the manner of the defeat. And they're they're having some dark days post Ferguson, particularly under Van Gaal. There were some bad days. This was one of the worst I've seen post Ferguson. We just fell apart, Jim, didn't we, unfortunately? Like I said, I think I think I put on social media, like I had a little tweet and said, like, I feel like crying at the yeah. moment. We just, we just got, it's not nice to see your team getting hammered, is it? You know, we've, we've had it on occasions, but fortunately, as United supporters, we've not, we've not wished, we've not been testimony to a lot of hammerings over the years. City's done us a few times, but, you know, in, in relation to getting a real drubbing, I think that was, that was really sad and, and really disappointing. And, you know, and, a, and, a, and a, a, a massive feather in the cap of Mourinho, wasn't he? He would have really enjoyed that coming back to Old Trafford and getting that result. But um, like anything else in football, Jim, the game's over now. That's gone. It's, it's the reaction that counts. And you know, maybe this international, this little international break that we've got, that might be a good thing at the moment, just to try and settle the club down a bit. I know we've had a bit of active transfer movements and brought a few players in over the last twenty-four hours. So that'll give them a bit of time to get bedded in, and and hopefully, you know, all drums blazing, ready, ready for the next fixtures. Because it might say it's it's going to be. I think we're in for a really tough month. We've got some big fixtures coming up, haven't we? We've got PSG, we've got Leipzig in the Champions League, we've got Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, we've got Newcastle away. So it, there's there's some, there's some tests approaching, which is which is going to be tough. I think the next couple of games will be crucial in terms of. Solskjaer's future 
I don't know if you saw last night, the Daily Star briefs that Woodward has sounded out Pochettino about the possibility of replacing Solskjaer. Yeah. What's your stance on that? Is Pochettino somebody you'd like to see come in or are you of the opinion that we should stick with Solskjaer? I think it's a tough question. Um, I, I don't feel as though he's been backed. I think, I think we've kind of... We've, all, we've almost got a replica of Mourinho here when, when he said... I think they finished 19 points behind City, Jim, in the yeah. season two ago. And I, I remember thinking at the time, you know, well, we're going to go into the market in the summer and try and close this gap. I think I termed it as flexing our financial muscles, and it didn't happen. We, we brought in Fred, 50 million. All right, but, you know, oh, he's not a will beater. We brought in Dalot, Portuguese kid. He's moved on now, and he, he's gone. And, and we brought in Lee Grant as well. So you're thinking, that's not going to close the gap on City. And then since then, Liverpool's come sniffing up, haven't they? They've kind of overtaken yeah. us. We've got another scenario here where Ollie's done well and, you know, we all right, went to the last day of the season, we'll be scraped into the Champions League, which again, from the from the financial perspective of the club, is, is a bonus, you know, especially from, from the, the, the owner's perspective, a bit more money coming in. So you're expecting a little bit that more that, that money to get spent and help him out. And I, I just don't feel it has done again. All right, Van, Van der Beek's... Looks all right, but he's not really he's not really sort of starting the moment. He's, he's playing bit parts. I think he's just getting used to the culture. Um, and then, as you know, over this last 24 hours, we brought a couple of younger players in. You know, Tellez looks a good buy. He looks okay. And I'm just hoping that we can unlock the best of Cavani. You know, he's an outstanding centre forward, but I'm just hoping that he's, he's, he's come here with the kind of the attitude and the passion of maybe... A Teddy Sheringham or a, or a, a Ibrahimovic, you know, when he came, and and I think that um, you know if you can unlock Cavani, I think he might be quite excited that we've got some decent forward options, and and um, like I say, well, this has got to knit together very very quickly now because if it doesn't go well and if problems happen and we're losing more games, I don't know how Oli could be falling on his sword, unfortunately. So so this is this is a massive month to six weeks coming up. I'm going to move to some of the fan questions there, Alan, if that's all right. Of course. I have a question here from Keen Franey, which comes in from Instagram. What were your thoughts on Harry Maguire on the weekend? And I'm actually going to develop that question. What What are your thoughts on Harry Maguire in general since he's come to United? Do you think we've got the player we thought we were getting for £80 million? I think he's still, I think he's still getting to grips with like the, the enormity of the club at the moment. He's a... He's a I did, a, I did a little bit of work a couple of years ago for Mick Phelan when he was at Hull City. Like we did some scouting for him in like our educational department at UCSB. And we had a, was fortunate enough to go up to Hull City training out a few times. And he's, you know, I, used to be, I was very impressed with Harry Maguire. I thought he was a fantastic footballer. And for a big lad, his feet are decent and, you know, he, he looked okay. But then, I don't know, there's, there's no way he's worth 80 million, so that was it. that's put pressure on the situation straight away, he, he just isn't, you know, that was coming off the back of a reasonable World Cup with England, and since then, he's not really formed, he's not established a partnership with anybody, and you know, he's, he's been given the club captaincy, the situation over the summer, the last few weeks didn't have not helped him, you know, with the Mykonos situation, and, and getting involved with, with a problem there. Uh, that's not helped because that's that's you're carrying that on your back now, and at the moment, at the moment, not just him, but right across that back four, we're all over the shop, aren't we? And and ultimately, any any good player, any any good club, if they want success, will tell you. Until you get the back four and the goalkeeper sorted out and keep, start try to keep clean sheets again, 
you know, you, you're going to be putting pressure on other areas of the field. So, so to answer that question, potential, it wasn't worth 80 million, no, but the potential's there. I'm hoping it can come good, but there's quite a number of supporters, good fans now starting to ask a few questions about these centre-halves and the, and the back forward. We thought that we'd maybe get somebody in over the over the transfer window to, to you know to pull to pull somebody in alongside him or you know I don't know Jim we'll see what happens you might even go with the back three and, and start trying to get Juan Bissaka and Tellers like as wing backs now we, we may even go with Baye Lindelof and Maguire as a three you know just as a formation change because the, the way you know the way we got ripped to bits on it dearie me we was all over the place weren't we on Sunday there was holes everywhere. Yeah. You know, I don't know what happened on that right wing situation, but every time the ball went out there, you're thinking, look at the space that he's got. And to be concerned. It was, oh, it was calamity, absolute calamity. So, so I think potential's there. I'd just like to see him realising a little bit that, you know, he was scoring goals for England in the World Cup. He was going up for, for corners. He was heading goals in and it's not translated. It's not transferred yet, but... You know, it's a big move coming to this. This is the biggest club in the world you're at here with, with so much exposure on you and... You know, maybe finding that a little bit tough going at the moment. I thought United would at least attempt to bring in a centre back. Yeah. They, they didn't. I think they're short, a bit of quality there. That's I think that's obvious. Mm. What would you say to the suggestion that it's on Solskjaer to improve what's already there, to improve Lindelof, for example? That's a big ask, isn't it? It's, it's a tough one. You know, it's all about. We know the game's all about confidence, and it's all about. It's all about being comfortable when you play, and the, the more games you lose, and the more pressure you're being put under. It, it almost it highlights your flaws that you have. It, it's, it's a worrying, it's a worrying situation. It highlights flaws. Uh, confidence is a massive thing in, in all levels of professional sport, and you know it must be really difficult at the moment. But this is where character comes in. You, you need you need your manager, your assistant managers, your support staff. Your senior players in that squad to sort of like stand up and be counted now, because if players and, and managers and coaches don't stand up and be counted, you know ultimately there'll be costs here, there'll be cost cutting, and someone's going to lose their job sooner rather than later. So, so that's it. It's a big ask now with this squad, Jimmy. What's going to happen next? But like all United fans, Jimmy, we've got to keep the faith. We've got to find it. The players are there. There's some talent in that United squad, but. It's just not being realised at the moment, and you know certainly since the start of the season. I know we've only played three games, but there's evidence there now at the moment the way it started that this is going to be a long season if we're not careful. I think another thing I'd like to add, especially for United, one loss is a crisis essentially. Yeah, it's, well, it's it's tough, Jim, isn't it? It's, it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult scenario, and, and like you say, that Pochettino's now hanging around, and all the media have started reporting about him, haven't they? Yeah. So I think I think that's always. I don't. I don't like this. I'm not. I'm not a great fan of the media, to be honest. With you. They're like dogs with bones sometimes. And once these, once this news starts, they they won't let me go. You know, he, oh, Woodward's been talking to Pochettino, and Woodward's had a meeting with him, and Woodward's this. That's so so disrespectful of the coaches, staff, and the manager, and the whole. It's frightening. But you know, I, I won't. Some some of this is a bit bit concerning at the moment, Jimmy. We we know the situation with the club. I I, I put a tweet out earlier on saying that I feel that Ollie's just in a bit of a it's right in the middle at the moment. He's maybe he's maybe wanting to do things and push the club on, but he's just not getting the support to do it. Or or 
the people that he's asking for, the players that he's asking for, they're just not being delivered to him. So, in order to try and keep your job and try try to keep improving the squad and try to keep improving Man United, you know, you're stuck with that. But then on the flip side, you're thinking, I'm not getting backed. So, he's in a real funny situation at the moment. So, he's a club legend. Everybody wants him to do well, you know, it, but... We can't, we can't keep stomaching Jim. Much more of this, you know, all this next period now. So it, I think, I think this is a real crucial time. So it's going, going back into my research situation, a critical moment, <laughs> as you call it. This is a real critical moment for Man United, and it sounds bizarre only being a few games into the season, but I, I, do, I do think we're at that point where anything else here that is a bit of a disaster or a bit of a, we get a bit of a hiding. I, I think he, he might be under pressure here, rather to keep his job. So I'm, I'm hoping that, that the players can find something he can draw on all the experience that he has around him with Mickey P and Michael Carrick and you know I don't know whether he talked with Sir Alex or not you know just to try and help him out of this situation and what to do next you know a lot of the a lot of the fan base seems to be very split at the moment a lot of very supportive of Ollie and, and giving him the time because of the legend that he is but I, th- I think a few are starting to question you know, has he got the credentials to be. And United successful manager. That that's the questions that are being asked. Time will tell, Alan. I'd like to conclude on a positive note. If that's okay with you. From the players that you played with, who makes your five-a-side team? It's a good question. You'd have to look at sort of. You need you need some a mixture here, don't you? So you'd have to get Giggsy, wouldn't you? Oh, Giggsy was magic. Yeah, Giggsy was one of the best players of all time. Man United history. I don't think we'll ever see anybody surpass Ryan's achievements. You know his appearances and the, and the amount of the amount of um, trophies that he picked up, unbelievable. So he'd get in. Good argument. My hero would get in. Robbo definitely. He'd, he'd be sort of in there. You know, one of again one of my youth heroes growing up. Just a supreme all round footballer, Robbo. And he's one of the one of the complete players. You know, you talk about Duncan Edwards in the fifties. I think uh, Robbo was very similar. Could do it all, Jimmy. He could score goals. He could run all day. Good control, good passer, short and long, uh, plenty of bottle, loads of heart, and a good character, and a leader in them. So he'd be in. Um, probably stick less Celia goal. We play with Les in the resi. So, so does it have to be like lads who I kind of play with? That's the you play with, ideally. Yeah. yeah. So, so we'd have Giggsy, Robbo, Les Celia in, in goal. Because he just, he just for the comedy element, Les, he, he was brilliant. Okay? His character was fantastic. Um, let's have a think. I think I'd put Big Norm in there because, again, Norman Whiteside was unbelievable. Great footballer. One of the things we, that was stood out about Norman is he's just his awareness. You could give him the ball in any situation. He could have two or three round him, but he's always one step ahead, which is the mark of a, of, of a top player. Tough, too. Yeah, absolute class. So let's have a look at the shape. So Robbo Norman, like a bit, I'll sweep up in front of Les. So I'll be included in there. So that's the five, isn't it? Miss Les Sealy, myself, Norman Whiteside, Brian Robson and Giggsy. How's that? It's a great team. <laughs> Alan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. No worries, Jimmy. Great to speak to you. Have a good week. Thanks again. Take care. See you, Jimmy. Calling for it. James can only fist it. It comes for Cantona! I don't believe it! Well left by York, fed by Cole. Back to Annie Cole from Dwight York. Fantastic!